Hey, welcome back to Crimes and Closets. This is Beth in my closet in North Carolina. And this is Christy in my closet in St. Louis, all alone. I was going to say North <laughs> Carolina. No longer in the loo. No bummer. What a fun time, though, my guys. We had so much fun. Christy was the best hostess with the mostest. And yeah, it was really fun. Four days. That went by uber fast. We're going to talk all about it over on our Patreon for our Chit Chat Friday that we drop at the beginning of every month. So if you're interested in hearing what all we did, you can head over there. Yeah, yeah. Should. and we'll, we'll tell you all about it. It was great fun. Um, And I got a Taki recipe. Taquito recipe. Taquitos. Yeah, not Takis. <laughs> taquitos. I'm super excited to try it. Uh, yeah. What else? Happy Monday. We didn't even say that. Happy Monday. Oh, yeah. Happy Monday. I mean, nothing else. There's like, yeah, it's we wrapped up serial killer September. The live was fun. Oh, right. Yes. We did a live. Forgot about that. Yep. That was fun. So, um, and we're going to watch the golden bachelor tonight <gasps> uh, as of recording Almost. night. So <laughs> when this drops, we will, you guys will have known that I experienced the bachelor. Yes, I'm so excited that you're watching that. I just texted Kelly this morning and I was like, we have to add Beth onto our text tree. <laughs> I know. I might it's it's so late here though and I've been going I went to bed so early last oh. night. I'm like he said to Wes this morning, I'm like, Oh my gosh, we went to bed so early and he was like, It was awesome. We should do it again. <laughs> Every time that we do that, I think the same thing. I'm like, Why do we keep ourselves up? Like yeah. it's so nice to get a really full night's sleep. <laughs> yeah right yeah. anyway so we'll see yeah. if i make it stay yeah. tuned because it's at eight your time right mm-hmm. yeah yeah it'll be all right i don't right. go to bed at eight right yeah you should be good more like nine no <laughs> <laughs> just kidding um yeah that's all of the news except for i mentioned it at the end of this episode but i do have a book this week so please please come find us on social media um we have a lot of people write in and ask like how do we get a book how do we get on the book train you have to follow us on Instagram or Facebook. We post and we give it about 48 hours to mm -hmm. let a bunch of people enter. So most likely I'm going to be posting this on like Wednesday and then the drawing will be Friday, something like that. So you've got to follow us. It is a small window. I will post a couple times about it. So come over there and do that mm -hmm. if you want this book. Cool. Awesome. Excited. Okay. Excited to listen to this case again. Okay. <laughs> We have to wait till Monday. Okay, so here we go. Let's get into it. Okay, this case is a listener suggestion from Leah. Leah R, not my sister Leah. Okay. Uh, Leah actually lives in the area where this took place, which is in Pennsylvania. Okay. Um, I don't know specifically what town she lives in, but I know that she lives in or nearby. Mm -hmm. The town that we're going to is called Catasauqua, Pennsylvania. <laughs> hey, sorry. Yes. Catasauqua. It is, it is a mouthful. Um, small town, 6,000 residents. It's in the Lehigh Valley area of Pennsylvania. Oh, I know that area. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So it's near like Allentown and Redding mm -hmm. are towns that are surrounding it that you probably have heard of. So this is a very sad case. There are two victims today and trigger warning because one of the victims is an infant. Oh no. So there's nothing graphic 
at all, at all um, happening today, but just be aware if you want to skip over that particular part of it, you totally can, but it's, it's not gonna, it's gonna upset you, mm-hmm. but it's not like horrific. Um, this is a solved case. However, some believe that it is a possible wrongful conviction. Ooh. So I'm really interested to see what you think. What I am going to do is I am just going to give you all of the information. Okay. Okay. There are weird things on both sides mm-hmm. for an argument for or against. Okay. If this person really did it. So I just put as much of I c- as I could together and I just want to see what happens. Okay. <laughs> so I have a question. This is not that this is that important, but um, in terms of like how you organize it, are you giving us all of it? Like even the like, here's everything we know, and now this is why people think it's it's wrongful conviction, or is it all just kind of intertwined with it? Yeah, so I'm just going to tell you what happened. Okay. And there's going to be parts of it that you're going to be like, that's weird. That's okay. shady. And just keep, try to keep it all straight. Okay. Can yeah. I tell you? Can I tell you if it's weird or shady? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, you're definitely going to. Like, there's going to be things that happen that you're going to be like, that is really weird that that person did that. And we're just okay. going to – and I'm going to say, yes, it is. Okay. It is weird. Got it. Um, okay. So this is the case of Joanne and Alex Katrinek, which is another mouthful. So we have the Katrinaks from Catasauqua. Yeah, for real. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Joanne Marie O'Connor was born October 11th of 1968 to parents David and Sally. And she was the baby of four children. She was born in the Bronx, but at some point her family moved to New Jersey. And so she grew up most of her life in a small town called Hackettstown, New Jersey. Mm -hmm. Joanne was said to have been strikingly attractive. That is a quote. She was. She was very pretty. She Mm. was a good student. She was a very talented athlete. She was very loving and optimistic kind of a party, like always up for a good time. It was said that she was somewhat naive at times and that she was a bad judge of character. So like she did sometimes trust and like hang around people that were Mm. not who her family would choose her to be around. Okay. Um, But she was like very like optimistic, like they said, and was giving everybody the benefit of the doubt and, you know, all of that. Right. After she graduated high school, she wanted to pursue a career in the fashion and beauty industry, and so she first went to cosmetology school, but she quickly realized that she was allergic to many of the products that was used, and so she had to drop out. Yeah, I'd imagine that would really be hard to do if you're like yeah. someone's hair and like, oh, no. <laughs> yeah, right. So she went on, she was kind of trying to figure out what her plan was, her new plan was. And so she worked like various odd jobs. She worked at a grocery store. She uh, eventually got a job at a bank and she ended up marrying one of the men that was like a customer at her bank in 1991 when she was 23 years old. Hmm. Okay. We do not know this man's name. It has not been publicly released. Interesting. It is. It was said that this man was not the greatest of guys, that he was kind of mean and rude and their relationship was like toxic and violent at times. 
Um, I, I don't think that there's any like police reports or actual evidence of any violence in their relationship, but this is what was said okay. by her family, by people that knew them. We do know that five months into their marriage, she left. So she moved back in with her parents briefly and then moved in with her sister. And in early 1992, Joanne started working as a secretary for Six Flags in Jackson, New Jersey. I've been there. You have? Exit 8A or, oh my gosh, I cannot believe I don't remember that on the New Jersey Turnpike. Like it used to be like the thing. Like, yes, I went there. Well, there was a Six Flags closer to where I lived. In West Virginia, mm-hmm. there was one. And so I obviously did not go all the way to New Jersey, mm-hmm. but I love Six Flags. And I had friends that worked at Six Flags whenever I was in college, which was so much fun. But to be a secretary there was really interesting yeah. to me. I was like, yeah, you don't ever is- think about Six Flags, like having a behind the scenes office right. staff or something. Yeah. You know? Clearly they do. We have obviously. one like 20 minutes away a Six Flags. Oh, you do? Mm-hmm. You know, you're not an amusement park family. Though, I right? don't, I, no, family, no. I like it and mm-hmm. I always have, but um, my two oldest do not. The littlest okay. does. So I have taken him there and he okay. has asked to go back a million times and I haven't brought him because I'm like, I have to ride the ride. And I'm just getting older where they yeah. don't entice me as much, but I do think it's fun. Okay. Well, I think it's fun too. So while she was working there, she made a lot of friends and they actually all loved going out on the weekends. So she's newly single. She has this new job, super fun work crew. And so um, they're going out. So one weekend, they are going out at a bar in Allentown, Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. So I don't know why they were in Pennsylvania, because this was like a two hour drive. Oh, okay. I don't know if one of her friends was from there and they were like visiting their hometown or whatever. I have no idea why she was all the way in Pennsylvania, but she was. And while she was at this bar, she met a man named Andrew Katrinak or Andy is what they called him. So Andy was 14 years older than Joanne. So quite a bit of an age gap. He was a former professional boxer previously from California and he owned his own construction company in the Lehigh Valley area of Pennsylvania. So he was successful. He was charming. He and Joanne fell very hard, very fast for each other. So Andy had never been married before, and he's in his 30s at this point. But he did. He had had several long-term live-in girlfriends over the years, He had just never gotten married. So he was kind of like a proclaimed bachelor, like, I'll never get married. You know, it's Mm. just not what I do kind of thing. But after he met Joanne, he completely changed his tune and wanted her to marry him and to start this sweet newlywed life. Well, she's strikingly beautiful. So she was strikingly beautiful. Yes. And he treated her like a queen. He was very good to her. He was very doting. He gave her a lot of attention, compliments, gifts. He would take her like wine and dine her. You know, she was, he loved her. Like Mm -hmm. he, he says she was the love of his life. Okay. By January of 1993. So this is about eight months after they met, Joanne quit her job at Six Flags and moved to Pennsylvania to live with Andy. And then by May they were married. So pretty quick. 
mm-hmm. maybe one year from the time they met, they were married. So Joanne started uh, working for a temp agency and she did like secretarial work on and off whenever they needed her. And the couple moved into a cute little house in the middle of downtown Catasauqua. <laughs> I have to like gear myself up to say that every time. <laughs> I was going to say, I do have to say it often. <laughs> right. Pause. Catasauqua. Okay. Andy's construction business was doing very well and they were happy. They had even talked about possibly moving to Colorado because they had gone on a vacation there and they both fell in love with it and like just thought it was the most beautiful place they'd ever been to. So they had this dream of buying land and building a dream house that they could live in forever and raise a family surrounded by mountains, you know. Yeah, I did much all of our dream. I well, I shouldn't say all of our dreams, but ours too. Like Yeah, not in Colorado though. No. No. I mean, I don't have a desire for Colorado, but for me, it's like mountains. Mountains yeah. and rivers and lakes. and Yeah. Kind of oh, yeah. It's our best life to be yeah. surrounded by mountains with a body of water of some sort mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. yeah. So I did read that they had even gone out to Colorado to look at some properties a couple times, but that they had discovered that getting a loan was going to be very difficult for them because apparently Andy had been in some financial trouble at some point with the IRS, mm. uh, probably related to his business. I don't know the specifics of it, but um, this had affected his credit pretty negatively. Mm-hmm. And so they didn't know how they were going to finance property. So they had a realtor working with them to find property that was like owner financing. Okay. So that they wouldn't have to get money from a bank because they couldn't. Okay. So because they were a happy couple, you know, you and me make three. So they found out that they were expecting a baby and they were both overjoyed. And on August 21st of 1994, Alex Martin Katrinak was born. He was a beautiful little boy. He looked a lot like his mama. He had her dark hair and eyes and like her complexion. He was very smiley and happy and he was big for his age. So Joanne loved being a mom and she was good at it. She quit work so that she could be a full-time stay-at-home mom and she doted on Alex. She was very proud of him. She loved taking him to meet her friends that she used to work with. You know, she was 26 years old. She's Mm -hmm. got this brand new baby and like a perfect life. Yeah. She took a trip back to New Jersey to see her parents and she met up with some of her old coworkers from Six Flags and they all had lunch together and she showed her new baby Alex off and told them all about her happy life with Andy and their dreams of moving out west. And she seemed great mm-hmm. and everybody was like really happy for her. They were like, right. it seems like things are really working out perfectly for you and we love Alex and we're so happy for you, Joanne. Yeah, and well, I imagine if she had such a, a tumultuous previous marriage that, yeah, that's just, you know, people are like, oh, good. I'm glad that you found somebody that will love you. Exactly. So on December 15th of 1995, it was a very cold Thursday. Joanne was 26 and Alex was one week shy of being four months old. Okay. So Andy got up early that day and went to work at a job site. He was actually working at some friends of theirs, like family friends of theirs, and his dad was going to be working with him that day as well. I think Andy's dad also worked for him. 
in the okay. construction business. I So I think it was normal that his dad was there. So he was up and out of the house before 7 a.m. And he left Joanne asleep in bed with baby Alex. Joanne had told him that she had plans to go Christmas shopping that day. And so okay. that's what he expected her to do. Around one o'clock or so, Joanne's mother-in-law called her. So Andy's mom mm -hmm. called Joanne and she answered the phone and she was like on her cordless phone in the bedroom walking around. Alex could be heard in the background making noises. Um, so her mother-in-law wanted to know what she should get baby Alex for Christmas. Mm -hmm. Joanne actually told her that she was about to go out Christmas shopping for the afternoon and she invited her mother-in-law to go along with them. Hmm. So her mother-in-law agreed and Joanne said that she would, she was getting ready to leave. She was putting her coat on. She would be there in about 10 or 15 minutes. And she said, since it was cold, she was just going to pull in the driveway and honk and wait for her mother-in-law to come, you know, out of the house. So she didn't have to get Alex out and all mm -hmm. that stuff. But Joanne never showed up to pick up oh. her mother-in-law. So her mother-in-law waited. She called the house after about 45 minutes. She like, didn't get an answer. She was doing laundry. So she kind of went to the basement. Like she had sheets down there, you know, just piddled around waiting. About an hour mm. and a half goes by. She calls again. The phone's just ringing. Nobody's answering. And the answering machine wasn't picking up. So the mother-in-law, she thought this was strange. But mm. she figured that either Joanne had changed her mind about picking her up or that maybe Joanne had pulled in and honked and she hadn't heard her. And so mm. Joanne was tired of waiting and she just left. Okay. So her mother-in-law assumed that Joanne was still out shopping as planned. And so she thought, well, I'll just talk to her later, you okay. know, later, later today or the next day or whatever. And I'll find out what happened then. What year was this again? I'm sorry. 1994. Okay. So it was like kind of ish pre cell phones or they like did, she did not have a cell phone. Right. I was going to say probably like, even if they had them, maybe she didn't have one. And so it was like, cause I was like, well, wouldn't she have called her and said, I'm not coming to get you or whatever. Like, right. I don't know. Yeah. She totally thought it was strange for mm -hmm. sure. But at the same time she was like, well, what am I going to yeah. do now? She's out shopping. She's not answering her phone. So whatever. Right. Yeah. So Andy came home from work around six 30 that evening to a dark house, empty house. So Joanne and Alex were not home from Christmas shopping yet. So Andy knew, okay, they're out shopping. They must have run late. It's fine. So he just kind of piddled around the house, like changed his clothes, watched TV, and was like waiting for them to come home. But by Alex's bedtime, Joanne was still not home, which was very unlike her mm -hmm. because she was late at that point. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't normal for her to be late, but if she was going to be late, she would call and she would leave a message for Andy on the answering machine or something. And there was no message. So mm -hmm. plus it was cold. It was like getting mm -hmm. cold outside. It's December in Pennsylvania, you know, and she has a newborn baby. Yeah. Right. So Andy started to worry. So he starts calling people. He called some of Joanne's friends to see if maybe Joanne had met up with them that day or if she was at any of their houses hanging out, but no one had seen Joanne or Alex. He eventually called his mom and he learned that Joanne was actually supposed to have picked her up that day, but she hadn't shown up. Mm -hmm. So now mom and, and Andy are like, okay, that's alarming. Like, mm -hmm. why would she, that now that she's missing, <laughs> you know, yeah. she's not where she's supposed to be two times now. 
So he called Joanne's sister to see if she had heard from Joanne because she was very, very close with her sister. They talked almost every day, but she hadn't talked to her that day. Joanne's parents hadn't spoken to her. So Andy started calling around to hospitals to see if he could find them there. He called the non-emergency police line to see if there had been any accidents. There was no sign of Mm. them at all. So no one had seen or heard from Joanne or Alex since the mother-in-law's phone call, which was around one o'clock. Okay. And now it's evening, Mm -hmm. almost night. It's nighttime at this point. So it's not clear when this happened. Okay. But at some point, Andy went down to their unfinished basement to -hmm. do something, check, check something about the furnace, I think is what it said. And while he was down there, he noticed that the door to the basement, which they never used, he actually kept it boarded up, was open. Like the door from the, they're like upstairs or like there was an outside door too? Yes. The one that led to outside. Okay. They never used it. He, it was like boarded up. Okay. And it was open. Mm -hmm. And so he was like, well, that's weird. And so he noticed that the door was like kind of a jar, like loose on its hinges, Mm -hmm. almost like somebody had tried to break in or had or something. Mm. So apparently this door is like, it's not a nice door. Like I can post a picture of it. It's like a plywood door that literally has like ratty hinges on it, Mm -hmm. you know? So he thought, well, I I guess I haven't been down here in a while. I don't really know. Apparently he didn't think that much of it. He just closed Mm. the door, made sure it was secure. But then he also thought, well, but my wife and son are missing. Yeah. So, and this is quite alarming, which is why I say it's not clear when he found the door. I don't know if he found it like before he got worried, like before he spoke to his mom and realized that Joanne wasn't where she was supposed to be, or if it was during the course of him trying to make these phone calls. I don't know. Okay. All right. But we do know that at 1040, so this is like four hours after Andy got home from work. He finally called 911 and reported Joanne and Alex missing. Okay. So police come out to the house and they took a report, but they were not concerned. So they were actually treating Joanne as if she had left on her own and that she and Alex were likely safe and would be home at some point. Which is strange Because the door was open in the basement. The door that they never used was open. Did did he tell the police that, though? So he said that he did. Okay. But there's nothing in the police report about it. Oh, okay. And the police actually only spent a total of 18 minutes at his house. It's just so strange to me when they say they're going to treat it as like they left on their own. Because, I don't know, like... You're wasting valuable time because what? It's like the f- first 48. We need to like, they got to find them in the first 48 hours. But yet you're saying we're not going to treat this as a missing person. Yeah. They go under a lot of scrutiny actually for the way that they kind of mishandled things at the beginning. But mm-hmm. the, my thing is like, I get that you think, okay, well, she's an adult. She's allowed to go off and do what she wants to do when she wants to do it. If there are no signs of foul play, mm-hmm. a door being broken into someone right. having access to their home that they don't typically have, you know, use as an access, that's signs of foul play. Right. Yeah. hundred percent. So the fact that they only spent 18 minutes there and the fact that 
it wasn't in the police report, and the fact that they were not alarmed and treating it as foul play would say to me that the police were not told about the door situation. Mm. Mm -hmm. But Andy swears they were. Right. So neither here nor there. It's a strange thing. Mm -hmm. So Joanne's purse, coat, and keys were gone, as well as Alex's diaper bag. Joanne's car was missing, so it wasn't parked in its usual parking space, which was in the alley behind their house. But nothing else from the home was missing. And again, police were just kind of like, call us if she shows up. Yeah, that I mean, that does indicate that she did leave to intending to go pick up her mother-in-law. Correct. And something happened once she left. To me, That's yes. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. At, Andy thinks this as well. He was very adamant that his wife would never have taken off with their baby like that and not tell anyone. So his parents came over and Joanne's parents and sister drove in from New Jersey and they decided, we'll just look for her ourselves. Like mm-hmm. if the police aren't going to do anything and they're not going to help us, we'll just do it ourselves. So they get there, they start driving around like the town looking for signs of Joanne and Alex, her car, anything. Around 2.45 in the morning, in a parking lot of a bar that was almost next door to Joanne and Andy's home, they found Joanne's car abandoned. And it was parked Hmm. into a space, like, near the door. Okay. Oh, that's really strange for it to be at a bar. And, and And close to their house, like, he wouldn't have seen it, though driving by you don't think okay so great question so if you're looking at it from the top like a top view you will Mm -hmm. see andy and joanne's house Mm -hmm. then the bar and then the parking lot okay like all in a row so if you're if you're at their house you can't see around the building Mm -hmm. to see their parking lot of the bar does that make sense yes but when they were driving around they did Right. So also something that was very strange to them is that Andy, or sorry, Joanne, who was like me, would never have backed into a space. Oh. So like, okay. I'm not, a, I'm not a backer upper. I'm not one I of those people. 100% a backer upper. I, Actually. I know. <laughs> I know. I do it's, know. <laughs> it's really funny because I'm less of a backer upper now with a smaller car than I was with a Yukon. I could do that Yukon like nobody's business now i have a small car and i'm like oh i think i'm gonna hit something yeah i don't know i 100 percent would hit something in any vehicle that i happen to be trying to back up (laughs) i hit things with the four-wheeler sometimes i'm really bad at it i'm not kidding (laughs) like it's ridiculous so joanne was like me she was not like it was a joke Mm -hmm. she would not she's not a backer upper Mm -hmm. there's two types of people right okay yeah So the car was very clean. There was no damage to it at all. Mm -hmm. Nothing weird. It was locked. It did have frost on it, meaning that it had likely been parked there for several hours. So Joanne's family called the police again and told them that they had found the car. Police come out, make note of it. But they're still not treating Joanne and Alex's disappearance as anything serious. Now they're saying to Andy, well, maybe she left with somebody else. She probably just has a boyfriend. Okay. So they even told Andy that he was welcome to take the car home because Mm -hmm. they didn't really need it. Right. And Andy was furious about this because he was convinced that his wife and son had been kidnapped. 
And he said that he was absolutely not going to do anything with the car because he didn't want to mess up any evidence. Because he well, was like, that's a crime scene, guys. Like, I was going to say, just good, take it home. Yeah. Good for him for not wanting to take that thing because that, yeah, like you all of a sudden now you're tampering with evidence in a way. Like, you're, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, yeah, <laughs> not tampering, uh, well, like contaminating, contaminating. That's yeah, contaminating a crime scene. Mm-hmm. So he could see that the car was empty except for Alex's car seat that was strapped in. And what, like, he said it was a can of mace in the passenger floor, which apparently Joanne was known for carrying. Okay. Okay. So they're begging for the police to take this seriously. And the police are like, okay, okay. Sure. Okay. We'll we'll look into it now. Whatever. Mm -hmm. So at around 530 that morning, Andy picked up the cordless phone in their bedroom. Okay. So that's the phone that she had been using when she was talking to the mother-in-law. Okay. And he realized that it didn't have a dial tone. So like it was, it was not working. Mm-hmm. He went down to the basement and realized that the, f- the phone line to the bedroom had been cut. Oh, okay. Well, so let me explain this. Okay. Mm-hmm. Their house had two different phone lines. Okay. So it had a phone line that went to the living room. And they had a phone in there. It was working fine. Mm -hmm. Then they had another phone line that went to the master bedroom. And only that one had been cut. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's interesting. And also like makes me think, well, the door was dang open. So somebody came in and cut that phone line. (laughs) That is what it makes you think. You're absolutely right. So interestingly, Andy said that he spliced the phone line back together And then went upstairs to call police and tell them, like, somebody has cut our phone line. I don't know why he spliced it back together. Because he had another phone that was working. And he doesn't want to mess with evidence in the car. Mm -hmm. But yet he does mess with the phone line. Right. Yeah, that's strange. It is. So Andy insists at this time, somebody broke into my house. Somebody cut my phone line. Somebody abducted Joanne and Alex. Mm-hmm. So police come back out at this point, And I don't know whether they started taking him seriously now or were just tired of them calling. So either way, they did decide that they were going to have crime scene investigators come and process the home and Joanne's car. So photos were taking of the, taken of the damaged door and the phone line. There was literally nothing in the home. Like, mm-hmm. no fingerprints that didn't belong to Andy, Joanne, Alex, the family, like, nothing. Mm-hmm. There were no signs of struggle. There was no footprints. It's my understanding that the basement floor was dirt. Oh, okay. And there were no footprints anywhere around the phone line, um, going in and out the door, like, nothing. It was very strange. No Except signs of, of struggle. Of course, his, because he went down and spliced it together. Yeah, see, that's not clear. I okay. think there were his were there, I think, mm-hmm. but no nothing else. Mm-hmm. They processed the car, everything looks fine in the car, no signs of a struggle. there's nothing, no blood, no you know weapons, nothing, no okay. fingerprints in the car, even Joanne's. oh well, so that's strange. It had clearly been wiped down, yes, and Joanne's keys were under the driver's seat, like on the floor. Mm-hmm. Police did take 
numerous hair and fabric samples from the house, from the car, whatever. They found very long, several long, dirty blonde hairs that were on the headrest of the driver's seat of her car. Okay. So this was specifically noticeable because Joanne had very dark hair. Mm -hmm. Like her hair was my color. Mm -hmm. So these were not her hairs. Okay. So someone else had driven her car. Mm -hmm. Somebody else who was dirty blonde. All of the hairs, all of the other hairs, were actually confirmed to have been either Joanne's, Andy's, Alex's, or belonging to family members, like her mother-in-law's mm -hmm. hair was in there, stuff like that. But those dirty blonde hairs could not be matched to anybody else in Joanne's life. Okay. That would have been in her car. So it was noted that the hairs were darker on the roots, which indicates that they were dyed. Mm -hmm. So it was someone with darker hair dyeing their hair a lighter, dirty blonde color. Mm -hmm. And because of the length of the hairs, they were like eight inches long, I think. And the fact that they had been dyed, it led police to believe that they likely belonged to a woman. So okay. there was also a dried red substance on the tips of the hairs. And it was actually later confirmed to have matched Joanne and Alex's blood type. <gasps> no. So whoever was driving her car had Joanne or Alex's or both's blood on them and left hairs. Jeez. Okay. It was also noted, which will be important later, that there were no roots found on the hairs. So that's what contains the DNA. Okay. Right? Those root balls. And would that would that be the case just from hair like falling out? You know, like yes. I shed all the time. But I feel like I'd have to really pull it out to be a root. Correct. On the end yes. Of it. Okay. That's right. So, right. Exactly. You have to forcibly pull and you almost intentionally have to like try to get a root ball. Mm-hmm. Okay, so at this point, Joanne and Alex's disappearance makes headlines, okay? Andy, Andy spoke to the media regularly, and he seemed very calm, but devastated, super worried. Police did searches of the surrounding areas. Some tips came in that people had seen Joanne and Alex. So one lady said that they had come into her store with a man a few days after they had disappeared, and they were fine. Another person said that they had seen a woman that looked like Joanne holding a baby and walking down railroad tracks with a man. Hmm. But those leads, they led nowhere. I mean, nobody really believed that they were them. Right. They questioned family and friends. Okay, so Andy had an alibi. So he'd mm -hmm. been at work all day. He was at a job site. It was reported that he had never even left for lunch that day. Okay. Joanne's ex-husband was questioned. But he oh, yeah. was very quickly cleared because he lived in New Jersey. They hadn't spoken in years. He had an alibi. He said he didn't even know she was married. Mm. Andy did agree to take two polygraph tests because his alibi was his dad. And so, oh. you know, family member alibis, you know, sometimes don't hold as much weight. Right. Both of the polygraphs did show deception, specifically at the question about withholding information or making things up. So they told him that this was his results, and he was like, well, there is something that I'm not telling you. So that makes sense. So Andy said 
that they needed to look into his ex-girlfriend, Patricia Rohrer, or Patty. Okay, all right. Patty and he had dated for about five years back in the late 80s and early 90s. So years before he ever met Joanne. Okay. Andy said that Patty was a bit, quote, loony. <laughs> okay. He said that they had lived together for several years and that after they bro up, broke up, Patty had moved back to her hometown, which was in Kernersville, North Carolina. Oh, I know where that is too. Yeah. After she moved, they still had an on and off again relationship. So he visited her several times in North Carolina. She would go up and visit him sometimes in Pennsylvania. They talked on the phone. They wrote letters, always flirtatious. Like they were kind of like, you know, on again, off again. Mm -hmm. Eventually their relationship did fizzle out and they just became friends. And then obviously he met Joanne. And so that was the end of that. Mm -hmm. He said that Patty would randomly call his house every now and then to catch up and see what he was up to and that she had actually called him earlier on in the year and he had told her that he was married and expecting a baby and he claimed that Patty's demeanor changed when she found this out. Oh. Like she didn't like that. Right. And moving on, him having a baby like with someone else because she was like, but but we were always, it's always us kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. We're on again, off again. We're supposed to be us. <laughs> right. So on December 12th, three days before Joanne and Alex went missing, Patty had called their house again. This time, Joanne had picked up the phone and she asked who was calling. And when Patty said who she was, apparently Joanne got very upset about this. And she said, you know, quit stop calling us. We're happily married. We have a baby. Please quit calling our house. And then she hung up the phone. Okay, like hung so up that on was her going to be one of my questions is, was Joanne aware of Patty and that she was still every now and then calling? It sounds like maybe yes, since she was annoyed about it. Yes. Oh, she definitely was aware she was calling. Yeah. I, I, yes, for sure. Because she had actually, she had actually talked to Patty before, mm -hmm. like when Patty had called the house before and asked for Andy. Okay. Something about this time, she, she was not having it. She mm -hmm. was like, just quit calling. We don't need you to call us anymore. Right. I know what you want, girl. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So Andy said that when Joanne's car was found, obviously he then realized, okay, someone has taken them for real. And there's now blood on hair in the car. And he his first thought was Patty. Mm. And that like altercation that she and Joanne had had. What color and, hair does Patty have? I'm, I'm going to get there. Okay. So he admitted that he had suspected her pretty much right away. He actually called her. After they found the car at three o'clock in the morning, he tried to call Patty. Seriously? So he, yes. So he said that he had a wrong number. So he called Patty's mom's house to get a hold of her. Like he tried to call Patty, but it was the wrong number. So he had Patty's mom's number and he called her and he told Patty's mom that his wife and son were missing. And he asked mom to call Patty and verify that she was home. Okay. Like he was like, my wife and son are missing and something has happened to them. Where's Patty? Okay. And so, did he tell police? About, well, no, he hadn't told police yet because this didn't come out until he failed parts of the polygraph. Right. Okay, yes, exactly. Okay. So, which was just a couple days after 
they wouldn't right, but it's still strange that he wouldn't say anything about like oh well i do suspect can i tried to call her you know like right well so patty's mom called and patty was home okay so i think at that point he maybe was like oh, okay well never mind then she's okay. there but he never talked to patty so mm-hmm. he said i don't want to talk to her so right. you call patty see if she's home and then call me back and tell me okay okay so everyone thinks this is weird. Patty's mom thought this was really weird. Patty, who answered the phone, thought this was very weird. And she even said, like, well, I'll call him back. I'll just call him back. And the mom was like, no, no, no. He specifically told me to tell you not to call him back. Mm-hmm. Phone records do confirm this, by the way. Okay. Okay. So by now, Andy was telling police about a potential scorned ex-girlfriend that they should look into. So he's pointing the finger at Patty now. hmm So about a week later, with no sign of Joanne or Alex, police from Pennsylvania went down to North Carolina to interview Patty. So Patty worked with horses and managed stables pretty much her whole adult life. So that's what she had done when she was living in Pennsylvania and her and Andy were together. And now she was doing that as well in in North Carolina. She was also a big part of the competitive rodeo circuit. So she was like a cowgirl. She was, I know, I kept thinking about, um, you know, that show Yellowstone, the buckle bunnies. (laughs) She was a buckle bunny. So Patty was cooperative and she answered all of their questions. She said that she was very sad to hear that Andy's wife and son were missing. And she even like stood up for Andy. Like, I hope you guys don't think he had anything to do with this. He's a really great guy. Mm -hmm. It was noted that she had no injuries or scrape marks on her arms or face that they could see. And she told police that on the day Joanne and Alex went missing, she had gone to the feed store and bought some grain for her horses. She then went to a gas station because she had lost a set of keys and she thought that she might, have left them at the gas station. Mm -hmm. And then that evening, she had gone to a private club called Cowboys. Mm -hmm. She participated in a dance class there, which I can only assume was line dancing. And then she stayed at the club and hung out until about two in the morning. She admitted that she was at home. Her mom had called her, woke her up. And she also admitted that she did call and check in with Andy several times a year. And she told police about the last time that she had called and how Joanne had been upset and hung up on her. So she basically told the same story that Andy told. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, I called. And man, she did not, she did not like that. I called. And she said she thought it was strange. But at the same time, she was like, well, what am I going to do? Like, he's married. He's with somebody else. She doesn't want me calling. Oh, well. Mm -hmm. However, she was adamant that she had not called on December 12th three days before they had gone missing, that it had actually been the week before that. So more like the 7th or 8th of December. Okay. Okay. So because of Patty's cooperation, police ruled her out pretty much as a suspect. So they kind of crossed her off the list. They were kind of convinced that Andy had something to do with Joanne and Alex's disappearances. I think because of the whole like polygraph thing, weird, you know, behavior with the the phone line like all that kind of stuff and plus patty lived 500 miles away in north carolina and was mm-hmm. confirmed home at three o'clock the night mm-hmm. that they had gone missing mm-hmm. so they didn't even bother to verify her alibi or anything right okay. so they left her alone they went back to pennsylvania 
Months go by. No new leads, no tips. And Joanne and Alex's case went cold. Until one day in April of 1995, four months after Joanne and Alex's disappearance, a farmer was plowing a newly thawed field in a neighboring rural town about 15 miles from Joanne and Andy's home, and he noticed what he thought was a pile of clothes or fabric of some sort. As he got closer, he realized that it was a woman's body with something on top of it. Oh, no. Police were called and quickly discovered that what was laying on the woman was a baby. These remains were identified as being 26-year-old Joanne and almost four-month-old baby Alex. Oh, my gosh. So the area was so densely wooded that there was no way a car could have been driven there. So however they got there, they had to have parked and walked, like gone in on foot. Mm -hmm. The bodies were pretty decomposed and covered in a thin layer of leaves, so they had been there a while. Joanne was fully clothed, but her pants were kind of pulled down around her hips, like exposing her underwear, almost like she had been dragged. Hmm. Okay. She was still wearing all of her jewelry, so she had not been robbed. She had been shot once in the cheek, which was determined to have been with a twenty-two caliber gun. Apparently, this gunshot had not killed her because she was then beaten in the head and face pretty severely. She had 19 separate blows with a blunt object, causing multiple injuries to her face and head. Jeez. There were no signs of sexual assault. Again, robbery was not a motive. There was no gun or murder weapon found. There was one spent 22 caliber shell casing. Joanne's cause of death was listed as a gunshot wound to the face and multiple blunt force traumas. Traumas. The wounds were actually consistent with what was likely the butt of the gun. Okay. So it was theorized that after the first shot had not killed her, that possibly the gun had jammed maybe. And so they had to use it in a different way. Oh, okay. And they beat her with it. Okay. Alex... Okay, here's baby Alex. If you want to skip ahead about 30 seconds, that's about all okay. you're going to need. Can I? I'll... <laughs> no, sadly. Alex was found laying face down on Joan's chest. He was wearing a yellow onesie pajama set, and he had been covered up with a blue baby blanket. He had no signs of trauma or any other injuries. His cause of death could not definitively be determined However, it is believed that he was just left on her chest alive to die of exposure. Oh, he suffered. They don't know. They said suffocation could not be ruled out because of decomposition, but because there were just no signs of any trauma, they think that he just was left there. Four months. Very sad. Okay. Now, they do not think that it would have taken long for that to happen because it was December in Pennsylvania. I know, but still, like... Oh, it's heartless. Yeah. Literally heartless. Mm -hmm. So the diaper bag, a baby bottle, and Alex's favorite rattle were found lying nearby. Uh, Joanne's purse was not found. There were fingernails and hairs found on Joanne and Alex, and there was even a hair in Joanne's hand. 
Mm. There were also hairs found on the diaper bag and some found around the bodies. So they ruled out Joanne's hair, Alex's hair, Andy's hair, all that stuff. But there were hairs that matched the ones like the look and the color and the length of the ones that were found in Joanne's car. Mm -hmm. Okay, this is interesting. When the bodies were found, Andy was actually in Louisiana because he had been working with psychics to try to figure out what happened. Because at this point, he didn't know where they were. They were just missing Mm -hmm. still. Right. And when they called him to say, we found their bodies, he had gone to Louisiana because he had gotten a tip from a psychic that Joanne and Alex were living down there. And he was so desperate to find him that he went on his own. Oh, my gosh. Wow. All right. That's... So when Andy found out where the bodies had been found, he immediately again pointed the finger at his ex-girlfriend, Patty. Oh, well. (laughs) (laughs) I was about to. I was going to write down the. I'm sorry. I was going to write down the time. Of when you started again, so that it would okay. be helpful. Now I forgot it. <laughs> well, then we're going to start all you over. Were, you were muted again, and I was like, "Oh shit!" I'm just <laughs> we are doing great. Okay, yeah, so great. I think okay. I'm cursed. Like my cases, my last two cases have been I think nightmares to record. <laughs> have you been saging? I need to know. I haven't actually. Okay. Well, that's the problem. Okay. All right, here we go. We're going to start all over here. Okay. So when Andy found out where the bodies had been found, he immediately pointed the finger at his ex-girlfriend, Patty, again. So the bodies were in a place that was not really accessible or known to many people. So it was right off of a trail that led to a nearby horse stable. Okay. Patty, when she lived in Pennsylvania had actually ran that horse stable. Oh. And she would often use that trail while riding her horses. Okay. So he's like, well, remember I told you about Patty? Patty knew about this. Well, yeah, and that would be very coincidental that she would be dumped in spot that like, oh, this loony, as he says, knows where it is. (laughs) Right. Yes. So here, police are now like, well, shoot. Mm -hmm. Here's here's this buckle bunny Patty again that's coming up. Mm-hmm. So at this point, they zero in on Patty. Okay. They go back to North Carolina. They start questioning people. They question her. Mm-hmm. They question her. They look into her alibi to see if they can verify it. Mm-hmm. So by this time, Patty was actually living with a man. She was engaged and living with someone, and she was pregnant. But that was not the case when – she was still calling Andy and making all this. Phone when phone. they had gone missing, no, mm-hmm. she okay. was not. She was, I think she lived by herself. Okay. okay. At that point. I think it was, a, she had this boyfriend. Okay. Same boyfriend, but they weren't living together. Okay. But now, four months later, they are engaged, living together, and she's pregnant. Okay. So she actually had no receipt for any, for like purchasing any grain. On the day that Joanne and Alex were killed. Now, okay. they did have record that she had purchased it like a week later. 
Okay. But not on that day. All right. And this private nightclub that she said that she went to, mm-hmm. Cowboys. So it's required that if you go, you have to sign in. Mm-hmm. And she was not signed in at all that night. Okay. All right. I don't think I've ever been to a club where you actually have to like sign in. That is not true. We went to one right up the road one time <laughs> and we had to pay a dollar and we had to sign a book. <laughs> oh, because we had to By be your members. Mama's house. Yes. Yes. Uh-huh. Which is, okay, that's right. what a private club is. You have to be a member. Yes. So yes. Um, so, okay. So she's not signed in. Now, there were two people, her fiance and a friend of his, that said she was there that night. Okay. But nobody else could confirm or deny. I mean, right. it was a place she frequently went. Okay. She very often went to dance class. Okay. So they were like, well, she probably was, but we don't know. We don't know for sure that night. It's been four months. Right. I mean, I guess it would be a possibility that somebody might forget to make her sign in if she's frequents it so often. Right? Yeah, yes. I mean, I and know. actually, some people did say that if you're there for the dance class, you're not going to go back to the front after the dance class is over and then sign in. You're just going to stay. Okay. That makes sense. Okay. That was an argument. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of people didn't sign in, but there were like over a hundred people that had signed in that day and she was not one of them, including Mm -hmm. her fiance and his friend. Oh, okay. So she'd gone with them and they signed in. Why didn't she? Right. Well, unless she was at the dance class and they came and met her after the dance class, then they had to sign in. They were at the dance class, too, because they confirmed that she was there. Okay. Okay. So Patricia's home and car were searched. Nothing was found. One of Patty's ex-boyfriends told police that Patty did have a twenty-two caliber handgun Mm -hmm. and that it was known to be a piece of junk and jammed all the time. Oh, man. So Patty denied having a gun. She did have guns. Mm-hmm. But she said, I've never owned a twenty two caliber handgun that jammed. I have no idea what he's talking about. Okay. That I found that very interesting because I don't think the gun jamming theory was public. Oh. So I think that's incriminating because he was like, well, yeah, she had a twenty two caliber handgun. It was a piece of crap. It jammed mm-hmm. all the time. She couldn't really use it. Okay. So that kind of was fit into police's theory. Right. They were just offering that information and it just happened to be like, oh, well, we think the gun Right. Yeah. Right. Or did they say, oh, she did have a gun? Did it jam? Oh. (laughs) And then he was like, yes, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Okay. So uh, hair and blood samples were taken from Patty in November of 1995. Okay. So DNA at this point was in its infancy. And so that Mm -hmm. process takes a long time. So remember I told you that the hairs that they had found like on the bodies and in the car were blonde. Mm-hmm. Patty had dark hair. Had she dyed it blonde at some point? Well, we'll, we'll see. Okay. So um, they sent the, te- the hairs off to test them against the hairs that were found in the car and on the bodies. Mm-hmm. It was confirmed. Okay. They didn't test the hair in Joanne's hand for okay. DNA. However, they did look at it under a microscope and determined that it did not belong to Joanne or Alex. Okay. 
Uh, it possibly did not look like Patty's hair either. Okay. So this is like a totally different un, a hair that we've not seen yet. All right. <clears throat> but they didn't test it, which is okay. super weird. <laughs> so in the meantime, while they're waiting on like results to come in from Patty's hair, police continue to follow up on her story and possible involvement. So phone records confirmed that she and Andy had spoken on the phone several times from Patty's home number. Mm-hmm but nothing after December 7th. So that call on the 12th couldn't be proven. Okay. And remember she said, yeah, I called, but I didn't call three days before they went missing. It was like a week before. Okay. I'm so confused. (laughs) Sorry. Andy said she called three days before they went missing and they had an altercation. And since it was so close to the time that they went missing, I immediately thought Patty's involved. Right. Patty is saying that was a week before. It was mm-hmm. days before they went missing. Okay. Which okay. is not a big deal, but is Andy lying? Right. But did they confirm with <laughs> records? Yeah. Yes. It, there was yeah. a call on the 7th, nothing on the 12th. Oh, like so he's- Patty was right. Okay. Andy Got was it. wrong. Confirmed. Okay. Okay, so also, which was interesting, there were no phone calls between December 11th and December 15th. No, made from Patty's number. None. Okay. So it would indicate that she was not there at her home on those days. Well, yeah, and she could have called from a different number, right? Then She could have. Yeah, sure, she could have. But she wasn't calling anybody on those days. No, I know, but uh, what I'm saying is if she wasn't at her house and she could have called on that 12th, but mm-hmm. from a different number, they didn't know because you don't have caller ID at that time or Which whatever. Is what, that's what they think happened. Okay. 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 Nobody ever remembered Patty leaving for several days in December. Mm-hmm. So she hadn't asked anyone to take care of her horses, which is something that she absolutely would have done if she was leaving for like three or four days. There were also no confirmed sightings of Patty. Or her very distinct, like, horse van Uh in or around Pennsylvania during that time. Okay. And Patty was a brunette, right? Right. So eventually, police found a photograph of Patty at a rodeo Mm -hmm. in December of 1994, about a week and a half before Joanne and Alex were killed. And in that picture, her hair was considerably lighter. Ah. So they think, okay, that was her hair. Like, it doesn't look like it now, but back in December, when it would have been left in the car, that's what her hair color was. Right. And it had a darker, like, top to it. So, like, it could have just grown out by the time they were questioning her and talking to her and testing whatever. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Or she dyed it back, one or the other. Mm-hmm. Okay. But again, this is very circumstantial, all of this mm-hmm. stuff. So they can't. They can't get an arrest warrant on this. They have to wait for, like, DNA to come back. Mm -hmm. So they're waiting, waiting, waiting all this time. Patty went on to have a daughter. Andy moved to Colorado, like he and Joanne had always dreamed of doing, and he Mm -hmm. eventually remarried. Um, Joanne's father actually passed away without ever knowing who had actually killed his daughter and grandson. Mm -hmm. But in September of 1996, the results of the DNA for the hairs were in. And it was determined that Patty could not be ruled out as the owners of the hair. 
So couldn't positively identify, but... Correct. So there's a couple different types of DNA testing. This is a whole rabbit hole you can go yeah. into. Mitochondrial DNA is what they tested her hair with, or this the hair that was found. And what that means is it either belongs to her or someone she's related to. Right. Mm-hmm. So they can't say it was her specifically, but it's somebody that she shares DNA with. Okay. okay. So still vague, not enough to get an arrest warrant. Mm-hmm. Since DNA was continuing to evolve, they decided that they were going to perform a more accurate test again at this point. So this takes more time to come in. Now, what is interesting about this is when they go to perform additional DNA testing, they found a root ball on one of the hairs. Oh, okay. Which again was noted all the times before that none of the hairs that they found contained root balls. Well, now they have one. So now they have DNA. And this is in 1997. This is two years after the fact. Right. Couldn't it? Well, maybe not. Never mind. Say you said they never tested the one in her hand because I was going to say the one in Joanne's hand could have had root in it if she was like fighting and pulling. That is not what they tested. That's not. Okay. No. So in May of 1997, DNA showed that the hair found in Joanne's car and on Alex's diaper bag was Patty's and that there was a one in 37,000 chance that it would belong to somebody else. So one in 37,000. Wow, that's pretty damning. Yes, it's damning. Mm -hmm. And they found this because they all of a sudden found a root ball that was never there to be tested before. So Patty was arrested at her home in North Carolina in June of 1997, two and a half years from Joanne and Alex's murder. She was charged with two counts of first degree murder and two counts of kidnapping. Everyone was shocked that she was capable of doing such an awful thing and that she had just gone on and had a baby and was living her life. No big deal. There was huge public hatred for a woman that could kill a mother in front of her infant son in cold blood and then leave him to die with her body. She was very hated. So the public hated her. Everyone hated her. She had had a baby that had actually passed away from SIDS like before she had even met and dated Andy Mm. and the public and law enforcement even alluded to the fact that she maybe killed her first baby, (gasps) which is awful to do. Yeah. Um, Yeah. There was an autopsy done when that baby died and there were no absolute, there's no evidence of this. They were just, they just hated her. Right. Oh man. So Patty pleaded not guilty and she was denied bail and extradited to Pennsylvania. She was offered a plea deal. But she maintained her innocence and said that she would never plead guilty for crimes that she didn't commit. She went on trial in February of 1998. The theory of the prosecution was that Patty always considered Andy as the one that got away Mm -hmm. and that she had called Andy on the 12th, not from her home, and was enraged when Joanne spoke to her that way and cut her off from from Andy and hung up on her. So she drove from North Carolina to Pennsylvania, this is a nine-hour drive, and spent a few days stalking Joanne and Andy to learn, like, their routines, what they were doing, and she also was probably trying to figure out what her plan was, what she was going to do here about this. Then, on December 15th, Patty broke in the basement door after Andy had left for work. 
She then waited until she overheard Joanne on the phone and heard her say that she was about to leave the house to go shopping. She then cut the phone line to the bedroom. Patty then waited outside for Joanne and Alex to come out to the car and forced Joanne at gunpoint into her car with Alex, and they drove to the remote field. Joanne and Alex, she walked them out to, like, the middle of the field, to the location where they were found. She shot Joanne at close range. The gun jammed, so she beat her with it and then left Alex for dead. Okay. She then got back in Joanne's car and drove it to the nearby bar and left it, got back in her van and drove back to North Carolina and was there by 3 a.m. when her mom called. Is she known to back into spots? I'm just curious. Yes. Okay. She's a buckle bunny. Okay. She has Um, to drive horse trailers and stuff around all the time. One other question. What would be the reason for her to, like, you know – Stay in the basement waiting, hear this conversation, and then cut the phone line. I have absolutely no idea. That just doesn't make sense to me. It's also curious to me how she'd never been to this house before. Yeah. Now, granted, she stalked the house. So breaking in the basement door, I get. But how'd she Mm -hmm. know where the phone lines were? And how'd she know which one was to the bedroom and not the other one? Well... It's possible that she just saw a phone line and didn't know because, like, we didn't have two phone lines to right. Oh, parts. true. So it's possible that she just, like, whoever it was, just saw what a phone line and was like, "I'm cutting it," so that she can't call for help. Right. All great questions. Okay, so the defense claim. I mean, the whole forcing them into the car thing and like taking them out—that is plausible to me mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. it makes sense that she was. Le- Joanne and Alex were leaving to go shopping as planned. And you said it early on, something happened to them when they left. Right. Yeah. The whole stalking them for three days and breaking mm-hmm. in the basement and cutting the phone line, that seems a little far-fetched to me. Yeah. That's just yeah. my opinion. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Patty's defense claimed that Patty could have cared less about Andy and Joanne because she was engaged to somebody else mm-hmm. and, you know, or she was living or dating somebody else at that point. They also bring up that if her plan was to kill Andy's wife out of jealousy, then why after they were gone, did she never reach out to him to try to like get back together with him or can con- like console him in any way? Like, yeah, she why never she... called him ever again. Yeah. Why did she then get engaged and get pregnant? I mean, not that you could could accidentally get pregnant but i'm just saying like why did she then continue her relationship well you would think she would come and be like oh my gosh your wife and son are missing i'm so sorry what can i do to help you like yeah none of that happened yeah and also why kill alex like why not just leave him there at the house right so some eventually like at least he'd be very hungry but he wouldn't have died from elements yeah yeah right okay So they claimed that Patty had actually called Andy's on the 7th and that she hadn't spoken to him again since then, which is important because the phone records confirm this and it kind of blows the whole theory of her being enraged about being hung up on and jumping in the car and going straight there because of this like jealous rage. Like, did she really, was she mad about it for a week and then went like, (laughs) you know? Oh yeah. Okay. Does that make sense? Like, it's mm-hmm. they're saying that this is the defense. They're saying that the time frame doesn't make sense to them. Right. Mm-hmm. Also, there's no sightings of her in 
Pennsylvania. Nobody in North Carolina had any report that she had left. They claimed that she had never owned a 22 caliber gun and she didn't like her van that she drove around was not even reliable enough to make a trip to Pennsylvania. Mm, okay. Now she could have gotten another car, but there's no proof of that. Yeah. The defense also claimed that if Patty had brutally beaten Joanne in the woods, 19 blows, remember, she would have been covered in blood. Yeah. But the true. only blood found in Joanne's car was on the tips of those hairs. Oh, well, but the car had been wiped down. That's true. But man. Yeah. Those hairs were like perfectly placed on the seat, but she she managed to wipe down every speck of blood, every single one of them. Well, that's true. Very strange. They also call into question how it was well documented for two years that there were no roots found on any of the hairs. So why mm -hmm. did one turn up all of a sudden after hair samples from Patty were taken? Oh, like it could have been one of those. Yeah, like they're yeah. saying she was framed. Yeah, yeah. They believe that they wanted to pin her and they didn't have any concrete evidence, only circumstantial, mm -hmm. and that she it was corrupt police okay. work. Mm -hmm. There was also talk that Andy might have framed her because he is the one who kept pointing police to her. But where was he going to get the hair from? Did I don't keep know. keep her hair? I, like, that would be really creepy. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. All very far-fetched. And the hair that they did look at, e even before they found the root all of a sudden, um, the mitochondrial pointed to a familial link to her mm -hmm. in general. So It was her hair. I think it yeah. was her hair, for sure. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. So how did it get there? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So after six hours of deliberation, Patty was found guilty of all charges. She was sentenced to two life sentences without the possibility of parole. Mm -hmm. Patty appealed. It was denied. In 2008, a judge granted permission for the hairs to be tested again with more advanced DNA. And those results came back as a 100% match to Patty. Okay. However, she claims those were the hairs that were planted by law enforcement. A book was written in 2010 about this case, and it is all about Patty's innocence. Like, oh. the entire you... book is about – I read the book, yep. Okay. Um, it's called Convenience Suspect. Okay. In 20 – so I will give that away. Mm -hmm. In 2015, the evidence was challenged publicly by the Pennsylvania Innocence Project, and an appeal was filed, but that was again denied in 2017. Oh. Also in 2015, Patty sat down with my man Keith Morrison from an interview from jail where she continues to claim her innocence. And honestly, even Keith had some questions about her Ooh. guilt and like the crappy police work that was done. He also interviewed the investigators and he asked why the hair found in Joan's hand was never tested. And the investigator literally responded, well, who cares whose hair it is? And Keith was like, uh, well, it might be the killer's. Yeah. No and kidding. so the investigator said, you mean the other killer? We already know who the killer is. Okay. Uh, Currently, Patty is 59 years old and incarcerated at the Muncie State Correctional Institute in Muncie, Pennsylvania. She is still trying to find a way to force the state to test that remaining evidence. 
and to challenge them on like she wants them to show her photos of the hair that they had before they took her hair to see if there's like a difference to see if her hair has been planted she actually does have a lot of support for her innocence she mm-hmm. does. There's a lot okay. of people that are probably going to listen to this or read the book and not like the way that I skewed one way or the other. Okay. But that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And that's it. That's the case of Joanne and Alex Katrina, who were brutally murdered in a very horrific way. And whatever anyone thinks, they deserve justice if possible. And if that's Patty, then thank God we can right. rest easy. But – some people may believe that the killer is still out there. So I want to know. I want to know what you think. Go. Okay. All right. I'm sorry because I'm A lot of information. Asked... Well, it is. And so I'm asking a question that I know you said. Okay. When they did that testing, that 100%, what did they test? Said it was her? They tested the hairs that were found in the car. Okay. So it was the hairs. So – she is saying that those were planted by someone else at some point. Because those she, were found right away. Well, right. not right She's, away, but once they um, actually <laughs> searched the car when Andy refused to take it. She is saying that they were wrong about the first initial tests that were done and that those hairs were not are not hers. The hairs that okay. were found in the car, she's saying those are not my hairs. But those are the ones that they eventually tested and it proved 100% that they were. Well, but when they proved 100%, they had samples of Patty's hair. So Patty's saying the hair that was originally found in the car was not mine. You guys are wrong. So she's saying that they didn't actually test those hairs. Well, they did test them, though, and that's the one it came up like she couldn't be ruled out as a person. Right, but when they said 100% certainty... She's saying those... those are the hairs they took from her. Okay, that's what I'm saying. So she's Under saying a search they... warrant. Okay, okay. Yeah. Okay, so she wants them to test those hairs again. Yes, and the, the hair that was found in Joanne's hand. Okay, and so why won't they just do that? Well, they said they did. <laughs> They're saying well, no, it's the, the same hairs was... this whole time. They did retest them. No, I understand, but why won't they just test the one that was in her hand just to be I like, don't okay, know. well, we'll test this one too. I have absolutely no idea. No idea. And like, I don't know. It just seems like you could put this to rest if you were like, okay, here's the ones who are in the car. Here's the one that's in her hand. We're testing them in front of someone mm-hmm. conclusively that these so are the ones. Law enforcement <laughs> says it is put to bed. We found the guilty person. DNA proved it. More than one time. Well, and I guess now she has to be the one to to prove her innocence to get out since she was convicted. So it's right. like, well, yeah, we don't have to do this. That's right. But can, will they ever turn that over to the defense to test? I don't know. Appeals have been denied as late as 2017. Huh. Interesting. This is so fast. Yeah, this is just where it sits right now. And Which there is- would be... I just was saying it's just very frustrating for, like, Joanne and Alex's family if they think the correct killer is in jail and she just won't let it go. Mm -hmm. But then it's also upsetting for Patty's family if she's innocent (laughs) and Patty. Well, yeah. I don't know. I honestly (laughs) don't know where I fall. And I can tell you I exhaustively read both sides 
of the story and the evidence and I still don't know. I think there's very weird things. I think Andy acted very weirdly. Mm-hmm. He definitely is the one who pointed to Patty. Mm-hmm. I don't know what his motive would have been to have killed Joanne. They seem very happy. Where would he have gotten her hair to plant it? Exactly. Well, she says it wasn't her hair. That's the thing. (laughs) Well, yes. But if it is, where would he have gotten it? And that's the question. Was that really her hair? That's what we don't know. And we won't now. I mean, my gosh, this is 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. No, 30 years ago. And there's nobody else that they could even possibly think of that would have wanted to harm Joanne. That's right. If not Patty, then who? Mm-hmm. Jeez, I have yeah. no idea. I, I have no idea. Yeah, I mean, there's just strange things on both sides. Absolutely, it's one hundred percent strange to me that the police wouldn't touch the car at first, and we're just like, take it home, <laughs> right? And the whole break-in thing. Yeah, did that even really happen? Mm-hmm. Did Andy yeah. do that so that the police would take? their disappearance seriously but there's yeah yeah gosh man i don't know there's a lot of (laughs) theories about it i'm telling you it's real twisty and crazy and such a sad case i know so thanks leah you have had my Mm. brain a working for two weeks well i was just gonna say i've been working on this that's what i'm telling you it's a very long episode Apologize for that if you guys didn't have the brain power for it. I should have warned you. Well, last week was pretty, not this long, but (laughs) dang close to it too. Yeah. We're just getting longer, longer and longer. I know, I know. But I couldn't not tell their story, you know? Well, no, yeah. Clearly that the length of of an episode is like determined on like, oh, well, how deep are we going and how crazy Mm -hmm. and twisty is this story that you have to tell all the parts yes exactly oh there's a lot i still left out (laughs) right a lot of theories a lot of um like other leads and possible suspects that they say weren't looked into and had they been what would have happened i didn't mention them because they were kind of far-fetched to me okay all right yeah and also because then it would be two hours (laughs) (laughs) that'd be like a two-parter i can't send somebody this book though and it's all in there so Oh. Or you can click on all my sources. There's documentary. Like I said, there's a Keith Morrison investigates about this. And he literally is in jail in the prison beside her talking. I want to watch this. So you're going to have to send me that before. I will send you that. Yeah. If I want to watch this. This will be my Emory yeah. and I's next murder. Yes. And he does a really good job of like being neutral. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I love that man. Oh, gosh. Oh, me too. Well, I am so curious what everyone else thinks. I want to know what Leah thinks. I asked Leah and she was oh, like, did? well, her hair was in the car, but I don't really know. <laughs> yeah. She was like us. She was very much like, there's weird stuff. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, interesting. Well, if you've never told us what you think about a case, please weigh in on this <laughs> Say one. that every time. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's a solved case. I mean... It is what it is at this point. It's just there's so much uh, conspiracy. I will be interested to see if we um, reach somebody who is on Patty's side. Oh, we will. To say, yeah. Yeah, no, I think she definitely has people that support her. Yeah. No, I know, but if our little pod's going to reach. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. 
well, we reached anyway. a bunch of people that we didn't think we'd reach at some point. So yeah. <laughs> anyway, October um, is getting like lengthy, like September. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Jeez. Well, good job. Thank you for Thanks. spending so much time on that so that you could accurately portray mm-hmm. just all of the facts. I just wanted you to know everything. Yes. Well, and it's important for us to know everything. It is so, so important. And thank you, Leah, for bringing that to our attention. Um, definitely. Like, gosh, there's just so many out there that were like, man, why didn't we know about this one? This is mm-hmm. so great. Clearly, it was just impossible for us to know about everything that's out there and to hear right. all the things. So anyway, so that's why we appreciate you guys all sending us these suggestions and because they end up being doozies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's crazy. So anyway. Check us out on social media. Definitely want to see pictures of this door and all that. You're going to put that? Yep. Oh, sure. Sure. Okay. And all that, whatever, all the, all the interesting pictures that you might be posting. Okay. Totally curious. So everyone check us out on social media, rate and review us. Yeah. That would be fantastic. We love getting our reviews and reading what you actually think about us. So jump on there and do that on Apple if you can. And uh, tune in next week for another crazy case, I'm sure. And always remember, the world is scary. People suck. Hide in your closets.